Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 so many bible commentators for many years they've had this premise that at the end of days there's going to be a 10 nation confederacy each one individual but they will work together at the end of days now i found this article on politico now i'm not sharing this article with you in order for you to say, hey, this is a good news source, I'm not, I, I'm not saying whether or not it's an appropriate source for us to use. But on Politico, this is actually what, what happened in 2018. Look at this here. I put it up here for you to see. Emmanuel Macron, that was the, he's the, or at the time, he was the uh, president of France. Listen to what it says here. Impatient with German foot dragging on defense, French President Emmanuel Macron will bring together a 10-nation coalition of the willing, that's what it's called, a coalition of the willing next month designed to prepare European armed forces to take action together in emergencies and to bind Britain into military cooperation as it leaves the European Union. Defense ministers of France, the UK, so here, we're going to count this, France, the UK, Germany, Italy, Spain, Netherlands, Belgium, Portugal, Denmark, and Estonia will sign a letter of intent in Paris in June, officials told me, pledging to develop a common strategic culture, share analysis and foresight on trouble spots that may require intervention, and to work to coordinate their, their forces for future operations. Again, Daniel, hundreds, thousands of years ago for us, had this revelation explained this dream, told the king what the dream would be. There's these four kingdoms, and out of the fourth kingdom, the Roman kingdom, there's going to be nations in those toes that will work together, but they're going to be weaker. We see these things coming to pass for years. Bible scholars have looked for this 10-nation confederacy, and I'm not saying that this is for sure the one, right? But it's interesting that they're calling this a coalition of the willing, and this is happening right now in our times, right now in our days. So we see this statue. Are we good with the statue? Can we move on to the stone? So the stone, look at what it says here back in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. You think God isn't watching. You think that he's turned a blind eye, that he doesn't care about the interactions of man, the wars of men. You think that he's not paying attention. No, there is a God in heaven who's going to bring his kingdom and is going to topple the rest. 
And one kingdom will stand. Look at this. Nor shall there be a kingdom left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring, to them, to, or bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So there will be a stone cut out of a mountain that is not formed by human hand. There will be a kingdom that will come that is not a human kingdom. This is a kingdom sent by God. This is what Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar. Be ready because that kingdom will be coming and a stone will come. Do you realize the scripture throughout the course of scripture, it, it mentions this over and over again that Jesus is the chief cornerstone? A stone not cut by human hands. Look at what this says in Psalm chapter 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Legend had it that, tradition has it, that when the cornerstone was being formed in the quarry, chiseled in the quarry, off site of the temple grounds, understand they didn't want any of the work to be done on the temple site. They wanted it to be quiet and it to be peaceful and to be a place of worship. So all of the stones were quarried off-site, and they were trucked in or brought in by hand to the temple site in order to be put in place. And the chief cornerstone was sent ahead before the builders at the site were ready for it. So when the cornerstone arrived, they didn't know where it fit in the rest of the building. So what did they do with the chief cornerstone? They took it, and they threw it off the cliff into the Kidron Valley with the rest of the garbage thus bringing a perfect picture of what the Jews would do to Jesus. The chief cornerstone, the foundation stone, the most important of all of the stones thrown over the cliff in with the garbage. Jesus being that stone. Look at what it says here in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what Peter says, quoting Isaiah and quoting the Psalms. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, honor, uh, for, uh, so, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone which the builders rejected. They didn't know where it fit. They threw it off a cliff. They threw it in the trash. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It's interesting because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he said this. He said that the, the Jews seek after a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, and here we are. We're preaching Jesus Christ crucified. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block, and to the Greek, it's foolishness, right? The, the stone which is rejected by men is going to come. It's going to crash at the feet of this image, at the feet of the kingdoms of the world, and all of the kingdoms of the world will bow before, will crumble at the feet of the stone. Do you see the interpretation of the stone here? You understand what this is? Now, I'm going to skip a lot of my notes because I have some application I want to provide for you at the end. But understand that, that stone. It represents the, coming, the second coming of the Messiah, Jesus coming to this earth for a second time. That moment where we read in Revelation 19 where he will ride into the world once more with the armies of heaven behind him on a white stallion with a robe dipped in blood, a name written on his thigh, King of kings, Lord of lords. No one will be, out of his mouth will go a sharp two-edged sword. He'll strike down the nations with it. 
Jesus said when this moment happens that the nations of the world will look upon him as he comes on this stallion and they will mourn, understanding that we've crucified the Messiah. Jesus, the stone that will come and will break into pieces, completely destroy the kingdoms of the world and will set up a kingdom of his own. The scripture says this in Philippians chapter 2. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow every, uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The stone will come and everything will crumble. Everyone bow at his feet. It actually says that, that the kingdoms will become like the chaff, the summer chaff. You, you hold it in your hand and you blow it and it's gone, completely gone, obliterated, nothing left. Now, what is the application of this? What does this mean for you and for me? If you're taking notes, I want you to follow along with me because, again, there, there's a practical, personal application we get there. Yes, this is historical, this is, is prophetic, and we see this played out in history, but what does this mean for us? What does it mean for me when I go home today, knowing that there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries that knows, that knows history this well, right? First off, I want you to understand that God is sovereign. If you're taking notes, write that down. God is sovereign. It is said of history that history is what? It is his story, God knows exactly what is going to happen. In Psalm chapter 2, the psalmist writes, Why do the nations rage and plot vain things? God looks at their efforts from heaven and he laughs. And we think we're so smart, don't we? And we have such pride and such arrogance in our, even in our nation as Americans. We have this pride and this arrogance. And God looks from his throne in heaven and he just laughs. Look at them go. Look at them in their efforts trying to create these things. Look at what they're trying to do. This is what I want you to see here. God is sovereign. He looks down from his throne. He knows exactly what is going on, exactly what is happening. Even in our nation today, God is on his throne. He is sovereign. And in the same way that God raised up Nebuchadnezzar to judge the Jews, God will raise up for us leaders in our nation to bring judgment to America because we've turned our backs on God. And again, this isn't meant to be political because I, I, I hope you understand this. You don't need to hear from me, your pastor today, or, or anyone else. You don't need to hear from me my political views or commentary. You don't need to hear what I, what I feel about social justice movements and those types of You need the word of God from me. So understand, I don't say this politically, okay? But God has raised up for us a people Leaders who will bring judgment so that we will turn our hearts back to God. I don't think it mattered who won in November. God was raising up for us a judgment. And if we want to get right with God, we have to understand that he's sovereign. He's doing this. This isn't a surprise to God. Do you think God looked at this and said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that's what happened. I can't believe that's who they chose. God is on his throne. He's working out his will to accomplish his purposes so that we can repent and turn back to God. Amen. Right? Praise the Lord for that. So number one, God is sovereign. Number two there, God is also eternal. Amen. He sees the end from the beginning. He told Nebuchadnezzar everything that was going to happen. Look, Nebuchadnezzar, 
you're sitting at the top of this image right now. You're the image of, or you're the head of gold. But there's going to be a kingdom that's going to come after you. You're not going to be there forever. And that kingdom's not going to be there forever. And the kingdom after that's not going to be there forever. And the kingdom after that's going to be gone. And eventually the only kingdom that will matter is my kingdom. Right? God sees the end from the beginning. Sometimes I, I like to, to you know, kind of, kind of use this image for you. When you're watching a parade, you see the float come by in front of you. But if you're up in the sky in the blimp, you see the beginning and the end of the parade, right? Any football fans in here today? Oh, yeah. I know there's yeah, some, some football fans. You're Green Bay Packers fan, aren't you? Yeah. So I know there's some. I know some of you are like, oh, I'm not going to watch football because this or that. But here's the thing, right? Some of the coordinators are up in the skybox. They're not on the field. Why are they up in the skybox? The defensive, the offensive coordinator, they're up there in the box because they have a vision of the whole field. They see everything that's happening, not just the play that's right in front. They see what the defense is doing back in the secondary. They have one picture, a vision of the entire field, and they relay that information back down to the field level so that they can tell their team what needs to happen, right? God is in the skybox. He's watching the whole thing. He knows exactly what's going on. He's not confused. He's eternal. He sees the end and the beginning. Jesus said, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And you know what else? He's everything in between too, right? So God is sovereign. We see this from this interpretation. We see that he's eternal. He's outside of time and space. He sees the end from the beginning. None of this is a surprise to him. We also see that God is gracious. Why? Because God wants to communicate to us through this vision, through this dream, what's going to take place in the end days, in, in, throughout the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't want us to be taken by surprise. He wants us to be awake. He wants us to be ready. You know what the scripture says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9? It says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. God is so gracious to you. You might have come in here this morning struggling with some sort of sin, and it doesn't matter to me what that sin is. I don't need to know it. The Lord knows it. Again, he's the revealer of everything secret. He sees it and he knows it. But God is so gracious with us. He's so patient. Again, but he's patient towards you, not wishing or not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is telling us of what's going to happen so that our hearts are ready, so that our hearts are prepared to see him face to face. He doesn't want you to be taken by surprise. He doesn't want you to be stuck in your sin when he comes and rules and reigns once more. So is your heart prepared? Have you made your heart ready? Listen to what this says in Luke chapter 20. Again, Jesus is the stone. What then is written, Jesus says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now listen to this. This is Jesus speaking of himself, the stone that's going to come and destroy the kingdoms of the world. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken. But if it falls on anyone, that stone will crush him. You have an option today, a choice. You can either come to that stone this morning. God is so gracious with you. You can come to that stone this morning and you can fall on that stone. 
You can allow yourself to be broken. You can repent over your sin. You can ask God for forgiveness. The word repent just means to turn away from it and to go in the other direction. If your life is going in the wrong direction, if you're involved in sin and things that you know you shouldn't be involved in, that God is gracious with you this morning. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to suffer for that sin or in that sin any longer. You can repent. You can turn from that sin. You can fall on the stone and you can be broken but there's still hope for you because you can be rebuilt. But if that stone comes and it falls on you like it does on that statue, you'll be crushed, literally obliterated, crushed to powder, no hope to be put back together again. You have a choice this morning. God is so gracious, isn't he? He's sovereign. He's eternal. He's gracious. God is omniscient. The word means that he's all-knowing. The psalmist would write in Psalm 139, Lord, you know my heart. I want you to read that. Write it down just for sake of time. I'm not going to turn there, but read it. You know the thought that is in my head even before I think it. You know me. Just like God knew Nebuchadnezzar, God knew Nebuchadnezzar was pondering what's going to happen in the, the, the latter days and gives him this dream. God knows you. He knows your heart perfectly. And here's a promise for you. In Jeremiah chapter 29, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God knows you perfectly and completely. He knows your every thought, your every need. And if you're lost, you can seek after him and you'll find him if you really truly give your everything into that seeking. He's waiting to be found by you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your wickedness. He knows your trials and your troubles and your issues and he loves you anyway. God is... Sovereign, God is eternal, God is gracious, God is omniscient. And finally, if you're taking notes, that last subpoint is God is able. This situation seemed impossible for Daniel to be able to not only accurately describe the dream, but then to give its proper interpretation what the dream means. It seemed impossible, and it is impossible with man, but with God, absolutely possible. God is able to do what we are unable to to do. Think about this for a moment. God calls Moses, and Moses says to God, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites from Egypt? What does God say? God says, it's not about you, Moses. I will be with you. Moses goes on in Exodus chapter 4. He says, but you don't understand, God. I don't speak well. I'm not a good speaker. I, I can't move crowds with my words. What is, Moses, or what is Moses told by God? He says, I understand that you aren't a good speaker. I know Aaron's way better than you are, but I will be with your mouth. It isn't about you and what you can bring, Moses. I am able to do this on your behalf. Think of David. At that point in his life, 1 Samuel chapter 17, a young man, he comes to see the battlefield, the Philistines versus the Israelites. The giant Goliath comes forth every day, day after day, mocking the armies of Israel. And in David's heart, his heart is moved. His heart is grieved. Why would they not go and meet this giant on the field of battle? And he goes before the king, and he says to the king, listen to me, king. I used to tend my father's sheep. And when I would tend my father's sheep, from time to time, there would come a lion or a bear, and they would try to attack my father's sheep. But I would take and I would snatch the sheep from the mouth of the lion and from the bear, and if they pursued any further, I would take them by their beard, David says. A young man, a teenage boy. 
And this is what he says. He says, the Philistine shall be like the lion and the bear. Again, that seems impossible. What does David do? He says, well, or Saul sends him out. David goes out onto the field of battle, and he sees Goliath. And Goliath sees him for the first time. And it says there in the scripture that Goliath despised that they sent out David. And he actually says this, who am I that you should come at me, speaking to David, with sticks? Am I a dog that you should come at me at sticks? You're going to try to fight me? There's David with his staff and his sling. Who do you think I am? Am I not a mighty warrior and you're going to try to fight me with a stick? What does David say? He says, you come at me with sword and with spear, but I come at you with the name of the living God. Right? Now, that's a huge difference, right? Now, this is what I want you to understand. David had put himself in that position time after time after time. The time where he really let himself be stretched to his limits. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this seems possible. And he had grown in his faith. He had fought the bear. He had fought the lion. And so when the giant came, the giant looked just like the, the, the lion and the bear. No big deal. I come at you in the name of the living God. Think back to that boy. Doesn't have much, does he? All he has is a few loaves and a couple of fish. But when he brings what he has faithfully before God, God is able to use that. And many people are blessed. Your last point, if you're taking notes, is the promotion of Daniel. And let me read to you what happens because Daniel is faithful. Daniel is faithful, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, and he paid homage to Daniel. He, he falls down in worship before Daniel. Okay, that, that, that's how moved Nebuchadnezzar is. This guy's the real deal. This guy's in touch with God. And commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He stops and he gives the God of Daniel glory. Why? Because Daniel was faithful with what he had. Why were the Israelites able to be delivered from Egypt? Because Moses was faithful with what he had. Why was David able to meet Goliath on the field of battle? Because David was faithful with what he had. Why were thousands upon thousands of people fed with a couple of fish and a few loaves? Because a little boy was faithful with what he had. Because he understood that this isn't about me. They all understood this isn't about me. But when I bring what I have into the hands of the Lord, God is able to do something with that. Right? Verse 48. The king gave Daniel high honors and great many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all of the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. The, Daniel is raised up. He's promoted there. Why? Because he was faithful to God with what he had. I said in the beginning that I've often wondered what it was like to be that boy, to bring his few loaves and his couple of fish and to watch God do a miracle with it. But over time, I began to realize that I am that little boy. And all I can do is bring to God what little I have 
and believe that when I give what little I have into his hands, he can do something amazing with it. And this is what I want you to hear this morning as well, that just as sure as I know what it's like to be that little boy, you are that little boy or that little girl. And with what little you have, when you bring that to the Lord and you commit that faithfully to him, and in faith you say, Lord, it may not be much, but what I have I give to you to use as you see fit, you will see amazing things happen through you. You are no different than Daniel. You are no different than Moses. You are no different than David. You are no different than the little boy, and you are no different than me. If you bring what you have and you offer it up into the hands of God, you too can bring glory to God. People in your circles, people in your life can have the same response that Nebuchadnezzar had when he says, your God is the true God. Why? Because you've been faithful to give to God what you've got. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977